0: This morning we're in Acts chapter 19. Um, Acts chapter 19, and we're going to be looking at what happens with Paul in the city of Ephesus. But I want to just remind us um, before we even get into that, get started into that, um, of what happened in Acts chapter 16 when Paul first wanted to go to Ephesus and um, other cities in a province called Asia, um, and we, when we looked at that, we were reminded that that's not Asia in terms of how it's thought about today, uh, you know, China, Japan, and other countries on that side, but it was a province um, in Turkey. And, and he has a, a, a wants to go there, but the Spirit um, doesn't allow him, the Spirit of God doesn't allow him to go there and he has a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, Come and help us. And that's when he goes over uh, to places like Philippa, and you have Lydia um, there, who's actually ironically from Asia, um, and a woman um, when the call was from a man in Macedonia, but it's an Asian woman in Macedonia that is the first uh, follower of Jesus there. And then others, uh, like the Philippian jailer in his household, become believers. Uh, and then Paul travels. Um, on his way, because this is on a second missionary journey, he travels on his way back to Antioch. And on the way, he stops in Ephesus um, in chapter 18, and they asked him to stay there for a longer period of time. But he declined and said, I will return to you if God wills. And then he set sail from Ephesus. He went to Caesarea. Um, Apollos then uh, speaks boldly in Ephesus before going on to the city of Corinth. And so that ended Paul's um, second missionary journey there at the end of Acts chapter 18. And what we find at the beginning of his third missionary journey um, is that his first place that he goes back to is Ephesus. And he's actually going to stay there, as we'll read, for a long time. Um, And so I just wanted us to have that reminder that um, what we saw back in that Macedonia call was really not God saying no to a people or no to sharing the gospel with those people, but it was a timing issue. Um, It was God's timing of the people in a certain place being ready at one time and certain people in another place being ready to hear the word at another time. Um, And so we can take courage um, in that. And we know that God wants us to be sharing um, his message of salvation with people as we go throughout um, our lives. But at certain points in your life, you may have, you know, a focus on a particular family, um, and not feel particularly led in another area. And then that may you know, change you know, drastically. You may want to put your time in a certain area of ministry and the Lord tells you no for a while, but then you know, be open to the fact that he might say yes later on in the future to open a door for you um, in a particular ministry or to particular way to, to serve. Um, And by that, I don't necessarily mean anything vocational at all. I mean, you know, as you go through your life and and what God has you doing. Um, So let's pray and then we'll read. Um, We'll start in in chapter 19 of the book of Acts. So Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that we can be here this morning to worship and praise your name. And what a privilege that we have to worship you, God. What a privilege we have to gather around the table um, where we have the bread and the cup and to do that every Sunday and to remember, Jesus, that at the cross you purchased our salvation, you redeemed us, that you uh, paid for our sins there, and that you had victory um, over sin, and then that the grave could not hold you and you had victory over death, and that in you we also... have victory over sin and death. And so we thank you, God, um, that even though we have a a short time on this earth, that we have an eternity um, with you. Those who believe in you have an eternity with you, dear Jesus. But while we have this short time on this earth and the years just tick off very quickly, Lord, help us to use them in such a way um, to promote and to, to move your gospel forward in the world and to see, individual lives change and, and lives of communities change. And and Lord, help us to be willing um, to make great sacrifices um, on behalf um, of your gospel for your glory and for the good of the people of this world. In your name, Jesus, we ask it. Amen. So we're, um, again, Acts 19, verse 1. It says, It happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Uh, And he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about twelve men in all. Let's just stop there in those first seven verses and just make a couple of important notes. First we see, you know, Paul, you know, he said, if it's God's will, I'm going to come back to you. You know, he meant that when he said it. And what he meant by that was, unless God... Tells me to go somewhere else. I will come, you know, back to you and I will spend more time with you and I will share more with you. It was his heart's desire, you know, to do so. But he also understood and he knew that he was not in charge of his life. That he didn't get to call the shots for his life. But that God did, you know, and he needed to do and to go and to obey God and whatever that was. And he could have his own heart's desire but whenever his heart's desire and God's desire would come into conflict, there was one desire that needed to win out. And he would actually need to change his heart's desire to line up with God's heart's desire. You know, and so we see that in the ministry and the life you know, of Paul. And that he's his, you know, obedient to his king. You know, he has a king. We need to understand that because I think that in a lot of our, th- our theology throughout you know, the decades, particularly in, in modern, you know, um, American Christianity, we've kind of lost out that Jesus is king. And in that, what are the implications of that? You know, it's something that we may even say, like, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And, you know, we can give lip service to that. But when the rubber meets the road, you know, in, in real life and in hard decisions, do we view it that we actually have a king to obey? Do we view it that we have a king to obey? And and unfortunately, we've traded a king oftentimes for an assistant. That we want to be a king and we want Jesus to be the assistant to help us accomplish the things that we think are good ideas and the things that we want to do. And some of those may be even noble, but make no mistake about who's in charge. We want to be in charge. And it has to be a conscious, on going decision that Jesus is king over my life and he gets to call the shots and he gets to decide. And so it's not about me and it's not about what I want and it's not about my personal preferences, but it's about what King Jesus desires. Now, if you believe that Jesus has just has it out for you, then that can be kind of hard if you believe that God just has it out for you, then that can be kind of hard to go with. If you believe that one, you know, God just you know, is kind of like almost working against you, that can be kind of hard to go with. But if you believe that God is good and that He is for you and that He's a good God, the Father is a good Father, and that Jesus, our Lord, is a caring and compassionate one who takes our heavy burdens and gives us something that we can carry. You know, and with him, what we can carry is, is is greater and more than we think. And you know, we know this is true even in a physical sense. You know, we had our our, our team of twelve that ran two hundred six miles. You know, in the mountains, and some of that, you know, at least just on paper, just seems like ridiculous. But what twelve people could a- accomplish in that? But you know, there's also some some understanding, and you don't give you know the the, the weakest runner the number one like hardest work to do that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be loving. That wouldn't be kind, That wouldn't be, that wouldn't be fair. And you wouldn't give that person more than they're capable of. And so, you know, this is what is so awesome about our savior and King is that he knows each one of us individually. He knows the junk that we carry around that we shouldn't carry. And he asks us to put that at his feet. And then he gives us something that we can actually can do and accomplish and we need to understand that we have the wrong mentality whenever God has given us something to do and we think we can't do it that if God's given you to do it you can do it in his strength because you know if he's going to give the task he's also going to give the provision to do it he's a good king he's not a he's not a task, he's not an egyptian Taskmaster, back in the, in the days when the Hebrews were slaves and saying, now you have to double you know, the load and now you have to collect and get your own straw you know, to do it and, and going to beat it out of you. He's not like that. He's a good king and a good savior and he's with you. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's with us as we go. But we have to understand he's king. That's like the, that fundamental, like baseline of you know our, our lives of who gets to call the shots. It's got to be Jesus. And here we have this interesting scene where he finds some disciples. You know he signed, he finds people that believe in Jesus, but he says, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" And they said, "No, we have not even heard that, that there is a a Holy Spirit." But the way that that's worded in English, um, perhaps it should be, you know, we haven't heard that the Holy Spirit's been given. It's, you know, it's. it's I, I think it would be, um, you know, a real problem if they didn't know that there was a, a Holy Spirit, you know, even at at all with like with the you know being in the synagogue and being in the understanding that they had. You know, I think we can safely say that they would understand conceptually. But it's more about that the Spirit has been given because they're looking forward to this, like in the Old Testament prophecies, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit onto God's people. Okay? So that's probably a better way to look at that, that they didn't know that that had come. Because remember, Jesus said, I will send to you the Helper. You know, after he said that, you know, after his... After you had gone to the, the cross and the resurrection, you know, after I go, I'm going to send to you the helper. And we, and we really see that outpouring, you know, at Pentecost. But then we also see, as you read, like, for example, in, in 1 Corinthians, the normative um, experience for a believer, you know, now is that when you believe, you know, you're baptized into Jesus, you're baptized, you know, into Jesus through the, the Holy Spirit. Like, that's a spiritual thing, not talking about water, but we're talking about a spiritual thing. That happens there. The water that we do is a public, symbolic um, testimony of that. But that when a person believes, they receive the Holy Spirit, and God comes and you know dwells you know in them. But here, there's a reason that they haven't had that yet because they don't have the um, intellectual understanding and the, the they don't have the theological understanding and the foundation to to get that. And God wants to, to give them to this like in a way they understand it in the proper order of things, and he also wants there to be a testimony of that for the other churches to, to le- that these people are are legitimate followers of jesus and so there's, the re- there's some reasons here why things are, are done the way they are that may seem a little bit to us today kind of out of order, um, but there was a reason why there was God was waiting to give them um, you know the this baptism of the Holy Spirit, and in fact, when you see, um, there's like basically th- several different times in the Book of Acts uh, where people receive the Holy Spirit and where they speak in tongues, and each time it's kind of a, a a new group of people. We saw that with the with the Jewish um, believers, um, you know, at Pentecost when they were you know sharing with the the Jews and those who had converted to Judaism that came for Pentecost. Came for that celebration from all over the world, and God gave that as a testimony of that this was of God and it was true. And so, you know, all the people heard the word spoken in their native, you know, tongues of or the places that they were from. They heard the word of God being preached. Then you see it again when it's the Samaritans, those who were, you know, partially Jewish and partially Gentile, and you see them, and it legitimizes, you know, it's done to show, hey, you know, because the. Some of the people, even though they've become followers of Jesus, still have cultural baggage in terms of their understandings and their thoughts about human, you know, other human beings. And, so, you know, and who could be accepted by God. And so that had to be taken away. It had to be shown that the Samaritans who have been a marginalized people historically, both by Gentiles and by Jews, were, in fact, just as equally loved and equally you know, bought at the cross as anyone else as anybody who was you know, fully you know, Jewish and could trace their you know, lineage all the way back to Abraham because the sinful human heart always wants to think I'm better than and have an ex that says I'm better than That's part of our sinful human hearts, and the sinful human hearts, and it's certainly part of the unredeemed sinful human heart. I'm better than, and it, you know, and, and you know, in today's time, people may have thought, well, I'm beyond any sort of you know, thinking I'm better than based on you know, ethnicity or gender or nationality. But make no mistake about it; there's still an "I'm better than." I'm better than a conservative, or I'm better than a liberal, or I'm better than whatever else it is. I'm better than a redneck. I'm better than a hippie. I'm better than a frat boy. I'm better than something. That is part of the sinful human heart. But you know, when we come to know Jesus, not all of our misunderstandings get taken away at one time. Not all of our cult- all of our cultural baggage gets taken away at one time, and so throughout our lives, that cultural garbage and all the lies that we've been, you know, re- that we've received, and some of those just blatantly said, and others those just the implicit lies that we've grabbed hold of from whatever cultural context you grew up in. Because you did grow up in a cultural context, and I promise you that mine wasn't 100% correct, and that yours wasn't 100% correct, and so that means that there's garbage mixed in with some good. But throughout our lives, that garbage has to get identified, it has to get ripped out, and sometimes that's painful, because it is painful because there's the identification of, I was wrong, and I was sinful in my thoughts about that. And it has to get squashed, and it has to get thrown down the toilet, and it has to get flushed out of the system completely. And that's what growth is. And we need to to understand that there's a a basic part of that. You know, I mean, go back to the physical and the running or whatever. You You don't get better without pain. You don't get better without pain. And the same thing's true on spiritual, in the spiritual world. That we don't get better without some pain because there has to be an identification, a looking in the, in the mirror and saying, wrong. And sometimes that we have to deal with the world and sometimes our experiences hurt us and sometimes we have to go back and have a conversation with 12-year-old Chet. You know, Insert your own name there. And say, listen, I'm sorry that you were hurt by X. But that can't dictate how you react to everything now that you're 41. Do you get what I'm saying on that? Because otherwise that stuff just locks us in and locks us down. And it inhibits us giving more glory to God. And it inhibits our... Ability to to do our our, the work that God has given here on the earth, because, you know, perhaps sometimes God does have more for us. But that capacity has to be opened up. And sometimes there's some pain that has to happen in order for that capacity to get opened up. And so here, there's, there's, a mis, there's several misunderstandings that have happened. And, and so these people, they don't have a full understanding. And so they needed the truth of God more fully explained. They needed to know that, that John's baptism you know, wasn't the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it was a preparational baptism before the ministry of Jesus started to prepare people for the ministry of, of Jesus. And it would be a cleansing ministry, a purifying ministry that they were identifying here is my sinful self and all of my sinful garbage, and I want that to go away. And I want to be, and it was a, you know, I want to be open to God's work in my life. But you know, Jesus's work was the fulfillment of John's preparation. So you know, you don't go back just to the preparation, but you actually want the real deal. You don't, you know, and it's and it's the same thing in terms of like all the Old Testament. Preparation for Jesus. And there's so many beautiful things that we see in the Old Testament about Jesus. There's so many beautiful things we see in the Old Testament about how God works you know, in humanity. But what we don't do is we don't go back to the law. And we don't go back to the temple customs. And we don't go back. We don't see the beautiful pictures and then say, okay, now we're going to do animal sacrifices. We don't, we don't sacrifice the lamb anymore because the ultimate lamb was slain at the cross. And so we, we don't go back to the prior. We move forward with, with Jesus. And so that's part of what's here. Don't, they can't just stay in John's ministry. They have to make that full transition to the ministry of Jesus. And so on hearing this, you know, there's a response. On hearing this, hey, we didn't have the full picture. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And here, um, you know, when Paul lays his hands on them, they they prophesy, they speak in tongues. It's kind of cool. They were twelve men in all. As you know, Jesus had twelve disciples. Now Paul kind of has like in this particular place, like you know, these twelve twelve men that are disciples that are you are going to go forward and do work. You know, we had twelve people on our running team. Uh, you know, it's kind of cool and all. I mean, you know, when we were making the schedule and you know how things work out for you know Acts, you know this you know, chapter, these verses, or whatever throughout, um, you know, we didn't plan, well, we're running the Smoky Mountain Relay, you know, we didn't know, when we did the plan for starting Acts, I don't think we even knew that at that point yet, we're running the Smoky Mountain Relay, and then you have 12 runners, and everything else, and here we just happen to have, I don't know, it's just kind of cool how God does stuff sometimes, I'm not going to make a huge, like, theological, you know, deal out of it, but it's just cool, you know, it's like, thank you, God, you know, for that. Um, but, what it, but what it shows there, because let's go on. Now, they'll check this out. And he entered the synagogue, in verse 8, he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Now, let's stop for a moment here. He's persuading them about the kingdom of God because it's God's kingdom and Jesus is the king of that kingdom. Okay? So we need to understand even as part of the church, we're part of a kingdom. You know, God's people here on our earth and our, our local, you know, group of believers that are, make this assembly, that make this church, we're part of a kingdom. We're part of a bigger kingdom. And Jesus is the king of that. And so Jesus is the, the king of the kingdom. Jesus is also the head of the church. And Jesus is the head of the, the local church, even. And we're all to be his servants. We have leadership in the local church, but Jesus is to be the head of it. And he needs to be the one to dictate the direction and the vision for the local church. And we need to submit to what he wants for us. To be obedient to what he wants for us. But when he reasons in the synagogue, and he does so for three months, they, when they speak evil of the way... Remember, we're not, we're not even, you know, we're not, not like, um, Christian here isn't a big word. Christianity is not a thing. You know, Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. And so they were known as people of the way, code for Jesus, like the way, the truth, and the life, right? So they're part of the way. I'll tell you, you want to free yourself from a lot of stuff. You know, I mean, church history is important. There's a lot of uh, important things that have happened through the history of the church. But a lot of church history isn't even about the church because a lot of it is abhorrent to the teachings of Jesus. So, you know, and and you can't say, I mean, even our own group, we have to admit, you know, we've done things wrong. We, you know, we're not perfect by any means. But there's a lot of things in history I don't have to defend because I, I need to defend Jesus and his gospel. You know, I'm, I'm not called to defend what some group that called themselves Christians did in the 1500s or 1845 or 1945 or whatever. You know, I need to defend Jesus and his gospel. And, and what we see for every church that anything that calls itself having something to do with them is judged based on the, the life and teachings of the head of the church, King Jesus. And so we either say closer to or further away from," or not at all. We, you know what, what we call just you know putting on a costume, you know, when, you know we, we say like... You know, a, we, a wolf in, in sheep's clothing is what? Is it a wolf or is it a sheep? It's a wolf. You know, you can pretend, it can pretend all at once. It can call, you know, I can call myself Superman. But if you don't see me saving lives and flying over, you know, flying in the sky and leaping over tall buildings, you know, I can, I can get the costume and everything. But that, we all, we all know, don't, don't mentally envision that. that but that's uh, a. <laughs> Too late. Already done. Too late. Already done. Um, but, you know, that, that's, just, that's just a game. That's just pretend. That's pretend. Well, there's a lot of things over 2,000 years had have pretended to be the way of Jesus. But aren't anything like our Savior and King. Well, you know, that can be a little bit, I mean, that's sad. But that doesn't affect the mission that we're on. That doesn't affect our mission because we know that the real King Jesus transforms people's lives, transforms their lives. We know that there's good fruit from a good tree. And if there's not good fruit... Not from a good tree. Pretty plain and simple. Pretty plain and simple. But listen, after three months, the people who have been stubborn, they continue in unbelief, they start speaking evil of the way of Jesus. You know, Paul then, at that point, he removes those who were believing, and they start meeting In another place. Because the place is just a place. They just need a space. They just need space. And this continued for two years. Now notice this. For two years said all the residents of Asia, that whole province, heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. How cool is that? How cool is that? Because again, I just keep going back. Because so many times people just misread that Macedonia call back in Acts chapter 16 and try to make it something that it's not at all, that it is not at all. We just three chapters later and look what we have where everybody in that province hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beautiful. It's powerful. All the residents, you know, and and you could be assured that those, those 12 men, we're there at the beginning, we're a big part of that whole province, knowing about Jesus, our Savior and King. Okay. That's just cool. Uh, and again, you know, God is, is um, I mean, you just read the Bible and you see, Yet, yeah, like sometimes there's huge groups of people doing amazing things. But a lot of times it's like individuals and small groups of people that are doing amazing things. They're doing huge things. Huge things. And, you know, I, I don't want to, to make any any mistake about it. You know, when we, with our small church, you know, we're not quite there yet. We're going to pray and believe it, We still get there. But, you know, striving for that $25,000 for the School for Girls, you know, in Tanzania, in, type, in terms of, like, fundraising, that's, I mean, it's ludicrous. You know, I mean, in my mind, it's not ludicrous, but... You know, I went to a, I went to a, a smaller university, but still graduating two, three hundred students, you know, decade after decade after decade. I mean, every year, decade after decade after decade. And they have their, you know, one day, one dog, also bulldogs. I, have, I apparently have a thing for bulldogs, you know, just go from one place to another, it's bulldogs. But, you know, one day, one dog fundraiser where they have, you know, Almost 200 people that are actively trying to get all the other alumni to give, and they'll get 125 thousand dollars or something like that, you know, in that one day. But that's like their huge, you know, push for the year, you know, in terms of that just from their alumni. And you think about based on all the thousands of people that have graduated and how little money that ultimately is, like on a per person basis. You know, Relay for Life here at UGA. I mean, they did an awesome job. They raised, you know. A, about $250,000, about a quarter of a million dollars. But they had over 3,000 participants. You do it on a per person, it's like 85 bucks. You know, I mean, on a per person basis for all, all participants they have. So you scale, you know, you scale that to what we're trying to accomplish. And you go, "Wow, that's trying to do something. That's, an, that's ambitious. It's actually very ambitious, you know, but... Um, don't we want to be about ambitious things? You know, I mean personally, I mean I'd rather try something ambitious and not make it than try something that, you know, it's like, well, we're going to raise 500 bucks, you know, and one person can write a check or whatever, you know, like try something ambitious. I'd rather I'd rather try to raise 25 and only get 20 than to try to get 10 and say, "Well, we met our goal. Woohoo." <laughs> you know, it's all about perspective, you know, in that and our perspective is what the mo- you know? We want to squeeze the most we can out of every situation. You know, that's what we want to try to get, and that's what we- our mentality needs to be. You know, and you, you may have a, you know a mentality of you know I want to actually have a conversation, a real Jesus conversation. You know, with at least one person every week for the year. That's fifty-two Jesus. Conversation. i mean, that's serious to have like a real sit down, like Jesus conversation with somebody. I want to have 52 Jesus conversations with people who are maybe grew up in the church, but aren't really, you know, serious, you know, act like figuring out where that is. Somebody who doesn't know the Lord, or maybe just even like, I really want to encourage somebody to move forward or to get past something or whatever it is. I want to have a serious conversation. I want to have 52 of those. Well, let's say you had 25. At the end of the year. That's awesome. Because the person who doesn't think about having Jesus conversations with people has how many? Zero, one, two. Exactly. Zero, one, two. You know, the Lord might just throw something in your lap that's like completely, you're like, okay, Lord, I got to do this one because it's just, you know, I, I can't even get away from it. And it's the grace. He may just put that in, in your lap. You know, a couple of those. But we see in the ministry of the early church and the life of Paul and all these things, intentional effort that fails always trumps, always beats just lethargically going through the spiritual life. Without purpose to bring glory to Jesus. It always trumps it. It always beats it. I hate to use the word trump. It's one of those things. Everybody thinks politics. But it, it it wins out. It wins out. So what I want us as a, as a church to think about is you have all these, you know, these twelve people, all the residents of this whole province. Come to hear about Jesus, like hey, this week, you know everybody in this room strive to have one Jesus conversation, Just strive to have one Jesus conversation, I mean we do that consistently, consistently, you know Austin um, when he you know he was lives in Atlanta now, but he was running with us in such an encouragement for our van, he was chief navigator, um, you know, and just. He's just, got, he's, a, he's just got a generous heart. He's a kind dude. You know, he loves Jesus. And, you know, one of the things that he kept saying, because people were like, man, I hope I, hope I get my, you know. You know I, I'm personally one of those people who's like, I, I don't want everybody have to wait on me for too long. And uh, he's you know, just cover the distance. Just cover the distance. You know, that's what he kept saying. You know, that's his phrase. Just cover the distance. And, you know, that's what it is so much in the life of following Jesus. It's like day by day, step by step with him. Just cover the distance like how far does Jesus want to take you today just cover the distance with him you know don't worry about like hey i got to become like this spiritual like you know you know it's like you go to the gym you know and you see the person you're like man i'm probably never going to look like that you know um you don't have to look like that you know i, I look at the person running and be like i'm i'm just sorry but i'm not going to run i'm i will never i'm just going to go ahead and tell you now i will never like average a five and a half minute mile over a marathon like my body's not made for that and it just it is not gonna happen and that's not like a defeatist mentality I mean that's just being realistic but cover the distance day by day you know that's what spiritual life is. so you look at somebody like you know I, I'll never be like that person is you know in the, in the effectiveness of their life in ministry that might be realistic because maybe God has given that person like an overabundant gift in a particular area and you might have similar giftings but just, you know, God didn't give you as much of it. That's okay. Don't focus on that. Focus on what God has called you to do and cover the distance that he's given you to cover. Cover the distance. You know, but the problem is we end up looking at that person, whatever area of life it is, we look at that person as our, and we feel bad, like, well, I'm never going to be that, when we're supposed to be looking at Jesus. Because God didn't call us to look at the person, the other person that we compare ourselves to. Never once in your, in your Bible will read, like, keep your eyes on, and it's like some person, you know, just some other person. We're, but the scripture is very clear that we are to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's freeing. That's freeing. There's freedom in that. There's freedom in that. Stop comparing and just say, Jesus, what have you called me to do? Now, sometimes, because there's a difference between comparing and being inspired by. You get the difference in that. There was seeing somebody and go that inspires me and that causes me to want to do more, versus, well, I'm not. I see that and I'm not that, so I'm not as good. And then therefore, x, you know, and then how the mom works, x, y, and z, play out after that, and you just end up stuck. Be inspired by people who are covering the distance really well with Jesus. Be inspired by that, but then keep eyes on Jesus. Compare the progress to what he's asked you to do. Work on it with that. Okay. He continues for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And that is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. I'm going to read, we're just going to do this a little bit more and then we're going to finish the rest in our house fellowships this week, um, the rest of the chapter. But verse 11, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. And I'm just going to make one note there that say, you know, God, I mean, Paul was an apostle. God gave this, you know, miraculous you know, gifting to him that he could do this. Today, there are imitators of this. You know, you see them on TV, send in a donation and we'll send you this thing that this person has touched and this person has prayed for all this stuff. You never once hear like, we'll find and Paul requested donations with these handkerchiefs or required donations with these handkerchiefs or told people that, you know, if they wanted, um, you know, something in their lives that they needed to plant a bigger Faith seed, which meant give that particular preacher more money, et cetera, et cetera. It's one of those things that have been tremendously abused by fakes. Just throw it out there. Just going to call it, I'm going to call that one how I see it that that's just greedy people being greedy and using the name of God in order to fuel their private jets, which is pretty disgusting when you think about it. So, and it's usually. You know, they prey on, um, you know, the hopes of people who can't afford it, you know, and that's the uh, sad, sad stuff, sad stuff. So um, anyway, verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, you know, because they heard that worked, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. and the name of Jesus was extolled or glorified. And many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it it came to fifty thousand pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That's powerful. You know, two, th- two things here. One, you know, these guys, they see, hey, we've heard this works. You know, we know that Jesus casts out in the name of Jesus. You know, there's power. They try to, to access that, but they don't actually have access to that because they're not believers themselves. There's a world of difference if they actually believed in Jesus for themselves and said, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. But they, for them... The, you know, the Jesus thing was just another thing in their tool belt that they could pull out and try to use. But they didn't have that relational connection with Jesus and the ability to actually access that power. There's one time um, years ago here in Athens, one time I, th- I th- felt like in the, in the flesh and in the person I was talking to somebody who was demon-possessed. And it was like they would go, like it was like talking to them, and then a minute later it was like talking to a completely different thing. Um, and then it kind of go back and forth, and it was back in the normal, to you can be freed in this, because greater is he who is in me than in he who's in you. He said, but I like what it does for me. Started moving down the road, you know, and I was walking with him for a while and say, you know, greater is he was in me than who he was in you. You can be freed, and he literally ran away, like ran down the street. It's kind of an intense, you know, deal, um, because the power we have to understand isn't of us, but it is in us. It is in us. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is great power within you. One of the things that in this spiritual thing that happens, you know, people get really serious here. Because you've got a lot of people who are, you know, even believers, but... Again, the things are being more, more and more exposed in their lives that don't line up with God. That don't line up with God's ways. And so, what do they end up doing with that stuff? They take a radical step... And they take all the things that they used to go to, their magic books and their things, and they take those and they have like a big burn party of that stuff because it was truly evil, evil things, all their witchcraft. You know, I think about Zangalica where we do ministry in, in Mexico and that region, but particularly in that town city. I mean, there's a lot of people who there who practice wor- witchcraft and actually, I mean, literally worship Satan, like not playing with that. And try to conjure the dead. And, you know, they, I mean, they do, I mean, they try to do all sorts of really, you know, terrible and, and wicked things. And what would you want to see in a place like that? Is you would want to see one day all the people bringing all the paraphernalia of that garbage and saying, we want this destroyed. We're not, We're going to lo- take the loss. You know, they, 50,000 pieces of silver was a, a, a huge sum. They're not like, hey, I'm just going to, like, sell this at the flea market and get 50 cents on the dollar. Because they don't want anybody else in this either. They're just going to take the loss. They take a massive loss. And sometimes for some people, you know, coming to follow Jesus will cost you financially. You may take a massive financial hit in some ways. Because maybe you realize, well, there's certain things that I have or certain things in my life. And these things don't line up with the mission an agenda, you know, that God has given me, and therefore it's got to go. You know, and maybe some of that stuff, maybe it's just some material stuff that just kind of gets in the way of you following Jesus, and it's not like it's inherently bad, but it just gets in the way of you walk. You know, it's just a weight. You can't run as fast with this stuff in your life. You can't cover the distance. You know, as in such a way that gives God more glory because of this whatever it is. And so, you know, some of this stuff is just added additional weight, and it's just, you know, gotta go. It's just gotta go. So, you know, that was one of the things I finished with this, you know, on the on the run, um, on the race that we had. So, my second leg was. at least it was in the middle of the night and couldn't see it as much, but it was uh, like three miles flat and then two point eight up over two thousand feet. You know, it felt good running the first three, but there was no way I was just going to run up that two point eight, just not where I'm at right now. and so you know i' I'm, I'm trudging up it as best I can, and you know I'm listening, um, you got music, you know, just play it, and, and it actually had, you know it had gone through, and so it was Phil Collins. Um I can feel it coming in the air tonight, if you all know that song, <laughs> which is kind of good for kind of a night run I got that you know going or whatever, and that 's got a really cool beat you know thing in there, but it but you know it 's one of those songs that everybody kind of knows, but people don't really know you 're like, what are the lyrics of that song? and people are like, I can feel it coming in the air tonight, oh Lord, and i don 't know the other part right but um he actually says. I'm um, trying to get through this, but he actually says in it, you know, you wipe that, wipe that grin off your face you know, because I saw what you did. Um, and I couldn't help but think about why we're running. We have to do that because of all the crap that's in our world. You know, we have to run because of the injustice. Because of the abusive, sinful people that do wicked things to people that can't stop them from doing wicked things to them. We shouldn't have to go run and raise that money. We shouldn't have to do that. The only reason we have to do that is because of humanity's sin, wickedness, brokenness. Like That's why we have to do that. Now, we know God didn't make our world like that. Like, humanity fell into that, and then, you know, many humans don't do anything in their lives to try to stop their sin, but they just go full-born, you know, into it and are just destructive, you know. And, it's, and we know that if it was not for the restraining power of God's Spirit in our world, that humanity itself would have long ago just completely destroyed itself. We would be annihilated, or there'd just be a few people here and there. That are the survivors. We would, if it wasn't for God's restraining hand. There would not be 7 billion people on this planet right now. There might be 7,000. Because humans are destructive. So that's the half of it. That's the half of it is that we have to run because we know what you did. To the, those evil people, we know what they did. But the other half of it is God speaking to me in a, in a firm but loving you have too much junk. You could do more But you're too too lazy and too good for, you think you're too good for eating more peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch instead of going dropping $10. Because you're too lazy to look for that tool to go to that, do that little thing or whatever, so you just go by the store, you know, you're at the store anyway, so you just pick up another one. And don't think about that 5 or $10 or $20. So you got double, triple. You know, what do you need with four caulk guns? Yeah, it's just a $4 caulk gun, but why do you have four of them? Where's all this extra junk? Like, get rid of it. Just carry through life what you need. And I'll tell you the truth, that there's a there's also a conversation with twelve year old me in that too. And sometimes you think you've dealt with that. But maybe you haven't fully. But we have a king and he's given us a mission. But so many of us, so many each other time in our lives, we're trying to run that race. And we want to run that race that Jesus gave us, but we also want all of the world. We want to carry all the world with us too. And it gets ugly. Because you're, the sun's beating down and you're heaving. And you want to quit. And we say, God, you gave me too much. But that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because it's not what Jesus gave us that's weighing us down. It's that other stuff that we're carrying. That we still haven't put at the foot of the cross. Or maybe you put it at the foot of the cross, but then later on you went went back to the cross and you picked it back up. And you put it on your shoulders and said... Yeah, I think I can handle this now too. Just carry what Jesus gave us to carry. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. We're thankful that you bring us in experiences and points in our lives where we're vulnerable, but in those times, Lord, help us just to dig in at your feet, Jesus. To let you do the work. We're thankful that you're a loving Savior, a loving King. You've given each each person here, Lord, who believes in you. You've given... You, you, want, you just say, you want to take all those weights, all those extra things. And then you give us what's beautiful and what's yours. And you say, here, I want you to carry this. And we walk it together. We cover the distance together. We run it together. And Lord, we thank you. that your grace is sufficient for us each and every day. We're thankful that even when we are carrying stuff around that we shouldn't be carrying. You're so gracious. You carry us and you love us and you help us through. And so we thank you, dear Jesus, Jesus, for your amazing grace. And as we take that bread and that cup tonight, we say, Jesus, praise your holy name. Help us to seek your presence more and more in our lives. In your name, Jesus, we ask it.